Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. Chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity, buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. We've got a Canadian playing an American. We've got a human playing a Vulcan. We have a Mexican playing a Sikh. We have a Southerner playing a Southerner. I'm pretty sure Chekhov is not a real Russian. Boy, the appropriation is strong with this, isn't it? We're going to have to cancel Star Trek, aren't we? Not tonight. We have Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan right here on the Late Night Freight. Cue the music and beam us up. Welcome to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my very wrathful Space Cadet co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Faith, do you have that dragon energy with you tonight? I think I do. Is it some Final Frontier dragon energy? (laughs) It is. I'm feeling it tonight, Faith. I am too. feeling it tonight. We are going to travel to the 23rd century as Sci-Fi Fantasy Villain Month continues here on our really big show. We've done Highlander, which featured Clancy Brown as the Kurgan. It's a pretty good sci-fi fantasy villain, huh? I think we got to go in tonight. I think so. Tonight's tale is a story of friendship, aging, and death from writer-director Nicholas Meyer. It also marks the big screen debut of Kirstie Alley, stars an older gentleman with an impeccable chest. Do you see what I did there? I see. See what I did there? 
and it features spaceships that go pew pew. <laughs> what are we talking about tonight, Faith? We are talking about Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Whether you are a visitor from the final frontier or one of the many carbon-based life forms that populate this spaceship Earth, we want to welcome you to the show and thank you for joining us. We hope that whoever you are and wherever you hang your hat, you are happy and healthy. And we just want to remind you, 2020 is almost over. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's get to it. Star Trek is a favorite of ours here on the show, right? That's right. It first graced our television screens in 1966, and it introduced viewers around the world to the iconic characters of James T. Kirk, Spock, Dr. McCoy, and the rest of the intrepid crew of the USS Enterprise. Created by Gene Roddenberry, the show featured a, a diverse cast, was an action-adventure show set in outer space, and would often deal with real-world issues facing contemporary viewers. At its heart, Star Trek was a show about the human condition, and this aspect of the show was shown best through the trio of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy played beautifully Faith by William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly. Originally scheduled for a five-year mission, the Enterprise only made it through three on network television, but then something really miraculous happened. The series got picked up in syndication and became wildly more popular than it had ever been in its original run, almost like divine timing. Like mm -hmm. It was part of some divine plan, right? Yeah. Right? This gave rise to the Star Trek convention, and that in turn led to a lot of the conventions we see today. You can draw lines from the big San Diego Comic-Con all the way back to those very early Star Trek conventions. So while Trek was lighting up the television screens of the 70s, plans were in motion to bring it back in some form, either as a motion picture or as another television series. There was talk of Paramount launching a fourth network in the late 1970s in Star Trek Phase Two which would have been the sequel series to the original television show, would have been the crown jewel in the network's scheduling. But the success of George Lucas's Star Wars in 1977. I've never heard of that film, have you? Doesn't sound very familiar. That, that, uh, that movie <laughs> apparently made a few bucks. Uh, <laughs> it led Paramount to make the decision to bring Trek to the big screen in the form of 1979's big-budget sci-fi epic Star Trek The Motion Picture. And when we get back from our break, we're going to talk a little bit about that movie and how it relates to the Wrath of Khan. But before we go to the break, Faith, Star Trek occupies a wonderful piece of pop culture, and it's one of the great romances of the 20th century, and it's still going strong even today. What is it about this franchise that really warms your heartstrings? Because I know this is something that is very near and dear to your heart yes that's a good question and i've been thinking about that it just feels so comforting in a way you know like it just it puts you in a happy place to watch star trek it feels homey and <laughs> i don't know i feel that as out there as some of this show can be and there's 79 episodes in the original series as out there as it can be, it's completely grounded, yes. and it has everything to do with the three gentlemen that we just mentioned, Shatner, Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly. Mm -hmm. And as, as I said there in the little intro, it really speaks to the human condition, right. uh, a lot of, lot of different aspects. It could, and it's a versatile show, too. Right. It's such a versatile show. You know, we talked about Queen last week with Highlander, and mm -hmm. we said Queen is one of those bands you can't really quantify Queen as a band because they can do rock and roll, heavy metal, exactly. R&B, soul, even snippets of jazz and Broadway mm -hmm. you know, sneak into their music. 
Star Trek is a lot like that. They have shows. If you look at those 79 original episodes, there are shows that are sh- straight out comedies. Mm-hmm. There's a high tension drama, uh, sci-fi uh, out there, you know, stuff going yeah. on. But then there's stuff that just, you know, you get into like the real friendship between these guys and the crew and all this. So it remains grounded. And it, it's, and it, it is at its heart an adventure show. It is. And it, it, it as much as it, you know, is a, is a show about space. It really feels so real. You must kind of forget it that does. it's about space. And it's about the people. It is. It's about the people. It is. And uh, one thing I'll say about the original series, uh, not to knock on any other iteration of Star Trek, there's a lot of Star Trek fans out there. Everybody has their Star Trek. So right. not to knock on anybody's uh, favorite Trek. But uh, mine is the original series, and I know that's yours too. Oh, yes. And it's... You know, you get into Next Generation and there's a lot of techno babble, and I get it that people like that part of it. But if you go back to the original series, the techno babble wasn't so much a part of it. It's mm-hmm. it's the adventure and the exploration and these characters and right. these people and, and the journey of the Starship Enterprise, but also the journey of its captain and, uh, and his moments of uh, really almost Shakespearean, you know, uh, yeah. uh, situations that he finds himself mm-hmm. in and and uh, Jim Kirk's a wonderful character. We're going to get into Jim Kirk tonight quite a bit with this Good. movie. But uh, I, I, I don't know what exactly it is. It's a lot of things, a lot of different things right? for different people. For me, it's the people. Yeah. And I think this movie that we're going to talk about tonight really captures the people. I think so, too. I think it does. So here we go. We have Shatner. We have Nimoy. We have Monobon. We have McCoy. We have a full pot of coffee, don't we? We do. Is the word given, Faith? Yes. All systems are go. What time is it, Faith? It is time for the late night fright. Cue the music. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we'll see you on the other side. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. Get away from that fever. You'll blow us all to atoms. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> Get away from her, you bitch! I find your lack of faith disturbing. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! Whoa, hello! Okay. This is God. It was pure evil. Be afraid. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Have a potato. Oh, have a deep, bitch. Come. This, bitch. Come to Freddy. Baba, baba, booba. This is Jeff Fanghorn, host of Point Counterpoint, 
Cozy Corner's premier debate show, airing every Sunday at 9 a.m. right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. This week's guests are Bobby D'Amato, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright, and Scott Rice, host of Laser Beams, Pew Pew, the show that gives you the high scores from Laser Lanes, Pew Pew, Cozy Corner's premier laser tag arena and arcade. Our topic this week, who's the better captain, James Tiberius Kirk or Jean-Luc Picard? Here's a special preview. All I'm saying is that Jean-Luc Picard is by far the superior captain because he always seeks a diplomatic solution and he always puts the needs of others above himself. Diplomatic solution? What are you telling me? You're telling me that having his therapist right there on the bridge with him is a diplomatic solution? I'm telling you, he's a man of great feeling and integrity. No, he's a pussy. That's what he is. Can he say that on the radio? I'll allow it. I happen to really like Captain Janeway from Voyager. What the hell is wrong with you guys? Where are your balls? Captain James Tiberius Kirk is all man, baby. And how come this music sounds like E.T. the Extra Testicle? (sighs) It's extraterrestrial, you noob nozzer. Tune in this Sunday, 9 a.m., Point Counterpoint, with Jeff Fanghorn. Right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Hey, beat me up, Scotty. I'm in a room full of Namby Bambies. Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Faith, are we ready for Warp Speed? I think we are. Are you ready for Point Counterpoint this Sunday? I think I am. (laughs) Sounds like it might have gotten heated. (laughs) A little bit. I think Scott Rice is going to be with us in a little while tonight, so we'll have to see what's going on there. Yes. All right, let's get into it. So, Star Trek Survives Syndication, as we were saying, finally makes it to the big screen, but there's a huge problem. The problem is the motion picture. (laughs) It's a pretty epic piece of science fiction, and it's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. It's got pacing issues, and a lot of that comes from what was going on behind the scenes during the making of the movie. Gene Roddenberry wanted absolute control and was rewriting the thing like by the hour. I've heard stories Shatner in his book says like, they wouldn't even look at the pages until they would like walk on because they would be getting four or five different. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like the color, cause they do color pages. He says <laughs> it was, it looked like all the colors of the rainbow. Oh my goodness. So, uh, it didn't make for a pleasant work environment as you can imagine. And Leonard, Leonard Nimoy in particular was not having a good time. Goodness. Uh, so that's going to play into him coming back for this movie. And it leads to a pretty big creative decision. Ooh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> So the first film, though, it did really well at the box office, but it also cost a lot, all caps, a lot of money to make, around $45 million in 1979 dollars. Are you ready for what it comes out to adjust it for inflation? Am I? (laughs) $160 million. Oh, my gosh. So, you know. A lot of money, but not efficient. (laughs) A sequel was greenlit, and the decision was made to kick creator Roddenberry upstairs and give him a creative consultant credit. And he wouldn't be much, have much to do with this series until he got the next generation in 87. They, he was there. 
right. you know, he was there. Um, the reins were handed to Harv Bennett. He was a television producer with Paramount, and the production for this film was actually handled by the television division of Paramount, not the movie division. So there you go. Hmm. So Bennett sat down. He watched all 79 episodes of the Trek series as he wasn't intimately familiar with it and decided that the new film would be a direct sequel to Space Seed. That's an episode that featured Ricardo Monalban as Khan Noonien Singh, a genetically altered Superman who was exiled to the planet SETI Alpha 5 by Captain James Tiberius Kirk at the end of the show. Bennett wrote an outline, then handed over writing duties to Jack, P, Jack B. Sowards, who was credited as the writer of the film. Samuel A. Peoples, one of the writers of the original series, was brought in and contributed a draft as well. And I would like to add, we have done Space Seed on our show. Yes, we that have. episode is available wherever podcasts can be found. I think it was a pretty good episode, mm-hmm. uh, both of the series and, and for us. Uh, so here are some of the things that were percolating in the drafts that I just mentioned. Khan was always part of the script. There was a doomsday device called the Omega system that eventually became known as the Genesis device. The character of Savick was introduced. Kirk's son, David, became a part of the adventure and Spock died. Mm-hmm. Spock dying was what uh, got Nimoy signed into the film. Uh, Leonard Nimoy thought Trek was done and he also thought that this movie would be the last of the series. So he wanted Spock to go out in a blaze of glory. So all the elements I uh, just mentioned, they're percolating in the pot. And then Karen Moore, a Paramount executive suggested bringing her friend Nicholas Meyer in to fix the script problems. As you can imagine, there are a lot of problems going on. So Meyer, Nicholas Meyer, he's the author of the 1974 best-selling Sherlock Holmes novel, the 7% solution. Remember the Sherlock Holmes connection here. He was nominated for an Oscar for his screenplay adaptation of that book. He was also the director of a movie called Time After Time. Really wonderful little movie which featured future Star Trek cast member Malcolm McDowell playing H.G. Wells who travels back in time to stop Jack the Ripper. Played by another future Trek cast member and the original Fred Krueger, David Warner. He was originally cast in that role in Back Down. So the script needed to be done, follow this, in 12 days oh my so that the sets and special effects department could begin their work in order to meet filming deadlines. Wow. Meyer had all of the principals involved to give him a list of everything they liked from the original drafts, be it a plot device, a character, or a line, and he put them all into the mix. The result is the film we have today. Meyer layered on the themes of old age and death into the story, and he saw them as natural extensions of what was playing out. And he even gave Kirk, here we go with the connection, a little bit of the Sherlock Holmes character as they are both figures that wilt when they are not fulfilling their main purposes. So there you go. Wow. This film was released on June 4th, 1982, and was a big hit. (laughs) It co-stars James Duhon, Walter Koenig, George Takei, Nichelle Nichols, B.B. Besh, Merritt Buttrick, and the late, great Paul Winfield. Score is by another late great one, James Horner. This is the first major film made that is a sequel to a television series and is the first to firmly plant Star Trek in the 23rd century. Deep breath. Thank you for hanging with me through all of that. (laughs) Faith, we had to get that out of the way to get into the movie tonight. What do you think of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan? This is one of my favorite movies probably ever <laughs> it's just so good there's there's a lot going on here there's i love the friendship that you have with kirk and spock i love the villain i love the heart in this movie 
I, it's just so well done from start to finish. It's so good. I want to go back to what I just said. This was written in 12 days. And you can't tell. And uh, from what Shatner has said about the script and other people said about Nicholas Meyer himself, he said it was malleable. They could, you could just move things around and, mm-hmm. it, and it always worked and you could accommodate changes because D. Kelly had a few things he wanted to change. Nimoy had some things he wanted changed and made the changes right. all within 12 days. Through a, a Writers Guild arbitration, I don't know what happened. Uh, Nicholas Meyer is the writer of this film, but he's not credited. Hmm. Jack Sowards got credited. I I don't know about the arbitration stuff, but this is N- Nicholas Meyer's script from yeah. a whole bunch of different ideas. So there was a lot of people, there were a lot of people contributing to right. it. But he wrote this thing that that is on the screen, based, the I think pretty close to what we have in 12 days. If you're out there and you've never sat down to write a screenplay or or any kind of uh, written work that's going to be performed, mm-hmm. this is amazing that he did this in 12 days and got it in and they were able to get, we were able to get the movie that we got. I want to echo what you said. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. This This is as damn near close to perfect a film <laughs> as know. you get. It, it really is. It, it's, it's very, very close to perfect. We said earlier, Star Trek is about people. And I know, I know that the whole political allegories can play into it, but this, this movie is so universal to, to everyone. And it's, and it's a rarity because it's a movie that transcends not only its genre, science fiction, it transcends its franchise. You right. know, it doesn't matter if you're a Star Trek fan or not. It doesn't matter if you've seen Space Seed, mm-hmm. the first, uh, you know, the the first part of this. Right. Uh, this movie works on its own, and you can watch <laughs> this and and be good. Exactly. Be done. It's an amazing, amazing film. And if you have not seen this movie, and you're, you're listening crazy. to the show, you are you're crazy. <laughs> uh, please watch it. Please watch it. And uh, if it's been a while since you've seen it, watch this again. It, it's is a movie I've been watching for almost my entire life, really. And it gets better every time I watch it. I get something new out of mm-hmm. it. So it's really that good. Um, let's give a very brief synopsis of it. Uh, Admiral Kirk, uh, we're not exactly sure how old he's turning. I'm, I've always assumed he's turned 50. Like, it's that's yeah. he's hitting 50. It's his birthday. And he's feeling a little down in the dumps. He's gotten promoted. He's not... Uh, in command of the enterprise. He's not out gallivanting the galaxy like he did in the original series. He's getting older. Um, and while he's going through that and then to add insult to injury, he ends up on the enterprise supervising a training mission with all these kids (laughs) to just, you know, kind of twist that Uh knife him while that's happening. His son, David and Kirk's uh, ex lover, uh, Dr. Carol Marcus, they have developed the Genesis device and that ends up in the hands of Khan, Nooney, and Singh, who we haven't seen in 15 years since Space Seed. And he's pissed. He's pissed. Um, the planet that he was on, uh, it shifted its axis, so he had a chance at life. Now it's nothing. His wife died. Uh, he's as angry as... He's, he's wrathful. It, it's, <laughs> he it's, the right, it's the right title for it this is. movie. And everything kind of has to do with that wrath. I mean, uh-huh. I mean... And he has one idea in mind, and that's to exact revenge on James T. Kirk. Exactly. And uh, Meyer is so brilliant, he brings in literary references with uh, Moby Dick and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature with Khan's character. He 
quotes freely from Ahab in this movie. And so these two characters meet up <laughs> throughout the film. So this is, and, and you could almost call this how James Kirk got his groove back in a lot of ways. Cause this is yeah. what this, what this movie is about. And it's about old age and, and friendship and, and getting older and death and, yeah. and, and death is, is right there. And it's, it's beautifully structured. It this really thing. is. This thing is, is amazing. And I mean, to show, to, to really illustrate if it's been a while since you've seen it, uh, how beautifully structured it is. It starts off with the Kobayashi Maru simulator, which is the no win scenario, which you could see as the metaphor for, for death. You know, we're, we're not going to make it out of life. Right. You know, we're all going to die uh, at some point down the road. And there you go. The no win situation. Kirk has never really faced death before. Boy, he faces it in this movie. It's, this is, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is, this is wonderful stuff. <laughs> Before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, uh, I do want to, I have two funny asides to this. Khan has a line when he meets Chekhov and Captain Terrell played by the great Paul Winfield. I love Paul Winfield. He was excellent in the Terminator. Terminator. We might need to do that this right, month. I think we should. Uh, so uh, they, they come face to face with Khan and Starfleet doesn't realize that SETI Alpha 6 exploded and moved SETI Alpha 5. And he says, Admiral Kirk never bothered to check up on me. So one thought I had is that's one hell of a clerical error. I'd hate to be the ensign at uh, Starfleet who <laughs> botched that. Yeah. Oh, I know. Uh, we should have checked on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we blew that one. <laughs> the other thing, too, is there's, a, there's this running thing in Star Trek where the Enterprise is always the only ship. In the system, right? Right. It's always the only ship in intercept range like in this. All right. It's kind of Sulu's fault, if you think about it, because when they pull out a, a space dock, Spock says, Mr. Sulu, you may indulge yourself. He picked where they went, which means they were the only ship in that sector to go take the distress call from space station regular right. one. Sulu's fault. We can blame him. I hope, I hope Kirk <laughs> had a long talk with him about it. All right, uh, so we're on the same page. This this is really legit. One of our favorite movies oh, of all time. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into uh, let's get into some some kind of uh, more uh, details mm -hmm. of it and, and uh, what makes this special. I want to start off. I want to talk about William Shatner. William Shatner uh, was nominated for a Saturn Award for this movie. William Shatner, for some reason, in some circles, uh, there's this knock on Shatner that he's a hammy ham, that he's not a very good actor. I think uh, I think those people haven't watched William Shatner. Mm -hmm. There's a there is. And we've talked about this. We've done Star Trek on the show before. And we bring it up every time that there's this kind of public perception of Jim Kirk. And 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 we've all done the impression at one time or another. You know, uh, he does that thing where he talks and does this. You know, uh, can you, you want to do it? Would you like I'm to try not Kirk? even going to right. attempt it. <laughs> Uh, but everybody's done that Kirk thing, you know, at, at some time or another. This movie uh, really is Shatner's film. Mm -hmm. This this movie is about Jim Kirk and Shatner really carries this movie. One of the great decisions Nicholas Meyer made. And uh, let me say this before I get into this. I like the motion picture. I like it for what it is. Yeah. I don't think it's a great Star Trek story. No. I think it's I a think great so. science fiction film. But I don't think it's a great uh, Star Trek story. And one of my problems with the movie is that the characters are obviously 10 years older and they're they're not taking into account that they're 10 years older. Right. This movie goes for the gusto. In fact, the movie is really about them getting older. Mm -hmm. And Shatner was around 50 at the time this was filmed. 
he wasn't comfortable playing middle age Kirk. And he thought if they made him up enough, he could play young Kirk. And they're like, no, like, <laughs> and, uh, Harv Bennett told him, uh, you need to age gracefully on screen. Like Spencer Tracy did. Spencer Tracy is the great, uh, uh, two-time Academy Award winner, one of the great movie stars of all time. Little did Harv Bennett know Shatner was in a movie with Spencer Tracy, Judgment at Nuremberg, and was very fond of him. And that really found its way into his heart, and he embraced it and went for it. Movies all the much better for it. And I think cool. we need to give a lot of credit to Meyer and Bennett and Shatner yeah. for embracing the age, because this mm-hmm. movie doesn't work if you're not embracing the exactly. age. Exactly. Shatner, I was watching, we watched this separately, and I know I was texting you throughout it. I said, my God, Shatner's so good in this. What is it about Shatner in this movie and and the dimension that he brings to this? I feel like he kind of becomes, what's the word I'm looking for, maybe more whole and grounded, and you can feel the... Human. Human, and you can feel the growth from him here. Like, I feel like you can feel a, a real transformation. He feels tired yeah. in the beginning of this movie. He really does feel tired and I don't want to say worthless. No. Jim Kirk is never worthless. No. But Jim Kirk is feeling burnt out. The pull. The pull of that you middle know, age. Yeah. You know, Jim Kirk's looking at the fi- into the final frontier mm-hmm. and not exactly sure if he's liking what he's seen. No, right. he, he doesn't like what he's Mm-mm. seen. I think visually this is shown great in that scene where the uh, Kobayashi Maru simulator opens at the very beginning. First time we see Kirk in the movie, he comes through with that light behind him, yes. almost like, dare I say it, his best years are behind him, you know, like like blinding, yeah. you know. He's also kind of a Jesus figure in a lot of ways, too, because there is a resurrection with mm-hmm. him in this movie. So there's, there's you know, I see it like the tomb opens, like, yeah, yeah. story of Christ and the resurrection, the tomb opens, here he comes, you know. yeah. This is a resurrection story in a lot of ways. It is. That deals with death. But Shatner just, he is so good in this. One thing that he doesn't do in this movie is that kind of Shatner acting style. Because Mm -hmm. Meyer would have him do take after take after take and get him tired and bored. That's what you see in the movie. Did I read something he had to do something like... 400 times or 200 times or um, something it was I, like don't, a lot. I don't think it got that astronomical but there was there was one line in particular 60 times something. He did it, something it was like 40 maybe maybe was is the one that's sticking out to me uh I it's it the line number. uh where they uh where he's talking to Khan on the screen and they mm-hmm. shoot any 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 he, 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 uh sends him the phasers <laughs> and he says uh here it comes now yes and it's very laid back but he said Shatner just wanted to overplay it, uh-huh. overplay it. And he said, finally, he just kept having him do it. I swear I read that it was like a lot. It, it, it may very well have been. I, can't I didn't actually was. see a number. Oh, I saw the number. I, saw I just the number. can't remember what it was. But yeah. And I think, I, and again, Meyer really got this great performance out of him. And I don't mm-hmm. feel that it's not Kirk. Right. It's, it's, it's a different side of Kirk. I feel like it's a much more, like I said, you could feel some difference and some growth from him from you know, the series. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, his foil in this movie is, uh, played by the one and only Ricardo Montalban, who I humbly, in my humble opinion, believe deserved an Oscar nomination for this film. Mm -hmm. I really believe that he did. And this was at a time when these kind of movies weren't taken seriously. Right. I believe he deserved an Academy award nomination for best supporting actor as Shatner, I really believe, deserved an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor, and the film deserved 
to be nominated for Best Picture. I agree. It is that good. I this know. is that good. <laughs> Ricardo Monobon, we talked at length in the Space Seed episode. Ricardo Monobon presence is the word that always comes to mind when I think of Khan and my gosh, he has it in this <laughs> yes, movie. He, uh, he is, it, we always talk about the great villains. And uh, when we talk about great villains, we seem on this show to always go back to with screen time, at least Fred Krueger, 1984 Elm street, Darth Vader, 1977 uh, star Wars, 12 minutes of screen time. Mm-hmm. Monobot has, has a lot more than that, but he's, he's not a main character. Right. He's definitely supporting, but he's driving everything. Oh yeah, you, in you this. feel him even when he's not on screen. And Monobon said when he read the script for the first time, he said, "Well, wait a second, I'm not, I'm not in this very much." And then he said he read it again, but he liked it. And he mm-hmm. said, "So, so he read it again. He went, wait, even when I'm not in this, they're talking he's about me." <laughs> he said, "Oh wow, this is, this is something." So. Uh, I'm really glad he he, he chose to do this. Me too. Uh, what did you think of Ricardo Monobon as Khan and Khan as as the villain in this oh, case? Oh God! First off, him as as Khan, like you said, presence. I mean, you feel him through this movie when he's not even on screen. He's absolutely just amazing, and him as a villain. I mean, come on. <laughs> and this is one, and we talked about this. And please, please go back and listen to the Space Seed yes. episode. That's available, and I'm going to leave a link for that. Uh, so you can access it quickly because uh, it was a while ago we did Space Seed mm-hmm. and we were both really taken with Ricardo. And this is one of the nicest men who ever worked in Hollywood, who who never forgot people who helped him out and who who offered a helping hand to, to others to mm-hmm. help them help themselves as it was. He was uh, devoutly Catholic, I believe, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and so. went to mass and donated his time and his money to uh, organizations that he he believed in, charitable organizations. This is one of the nicest men who's been on the planet and worked in Hollywood, playing a bastard here. <laughs> bastard know. here. Now, Monobon said the secret to playing a villain was to not act like you're doing villainous things, to think that you're in the right, to think that you're the hero of the story. What do you think of Khan's arc in this? Because here we have a guy with super intelligence who... I love the way that they play this in the movie continually is stepping on himself mm-hmm. because he is so bound and determined to, to get Jim Kirk and he's, he's arrogant. He, he's an they, arrogant well, character. They even say it. He has intelligence, but he has no experience. You right. Know? So he feels like he knows what he's doing, but. And he's a he's threat. Like, he's oh, an he, absolute threat. Oh, he absolutely is. I mean, he's out for, for literal blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's just amazing to see, especially, you know, him being older. It's just, he is awful. <laughs> he, both of these guys can't let go of something. That's right. the, that's what's so beautiful that they can't let go. They are literal mirror images of each other in this True. movie. They actually look at each other only through the view screen. Yep. Like a like mirror. Like a mirror. Yeah. Like a mirror. They share no space together in this movie. And I think the movie's actually better for it and yeah. i don't feel like it lacks because they don't Mm-mm. share screen time and um, you almost don't even really realize that while you're watching it you know you're like not thinking when they're going to meet up or anything it, because the presence of the two of them is right. so strong and the way that this plays out is like the best of star trek one of the greatest episodes of star trek is balance of terror which is a submarine episode mm-hmm. and star trek is at its core a naval show gene roddenberry disputed that had a pro- see Gene has started off, and I love Gene. I'm not knocking oh, yeah. Gene at all. Uh, it started off as wagon train 
to the stars, an adventure show. And somewhere along the line in the seventies, he started to get in this idea that it was bigger than it was like, it's this important political allegory. It's not that all the time. <laughs> it's not. And this, I think, captures the tone of the original series right. because it is grounded in that naval tradition. Mm-hmm. And Meyer did that on purpose because that's what he saw right. in the series. What did you think of, of the kind of naval? Because they're all through this. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I can see that. And I think that's a smart thing that he kind of picked up on and ran with. I mean, like I said, I think that's what Star Trek is. It, it's grounded like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels it feels familiar. It does. That's the thing. It does. Um, it goes without saying, we do horror movies on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're dipping our toe, as I said last week, into sci-fi fantasy, and we're putting a spotlight on villains. I think we yeah. just came up with a really great villain here. But this movie does have some horrific overtones to it. Absolutely horrific. We got some pretty awful creatures in the way of those uh, uh, SETI Alpha 5 eel things and the earwigs. We've got uh, dead bodies hanging, yes. hanging suspended. We've got, uh, what else have we got? Uh, some pretty gnarly makeup on uh, on some people in this. Yeah. Uh, it, it really, there, there's some horrific I, stuff I, I that happens. I think they, they, they could have probably gone a little more horrific with it if they wanted, and it still would have worked. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't work with the things it has here. Yeah. They probably could have gone, they probably could have... And my point is, this isn't all sunshine and rainbows. No, this is not. not this is not a, uh, a perfect future. You know, there there's right. some really awful stuff in here, and uh, I like that element of it. Yeah. I, I, I like uh, it's not an out and out horror movie. Yeah, at all. No, but there are some elements. I mean, when they put the bugs on them and they go in here, that is some horrific. That's body horror done really, really well. Yeah, really, I mean. really well. Uh, let's talk about the very quickly the supporting cast here. Uh, I will say this one of one of I don't want to call it a knock, but um, because of the nature of this story, all of the Enterprise crew members are not exactly given a lot to do. All mm-hmm. of them, not like in uh, later movies where they all kind of have something to do. They're, they're some of them are kind of there. Now, all of them do get little moments. George Takei, I was noticing, has he would be the the guy who put the button on the scene, like with little kind of a funny line or an aside. Michelle Nichols had a couple of them too. Um, I feel like they may have gotten a little shortchanged mm-hmm. in this movie. They definitely make up for it in the other ones. Chekhov had quite a, quite a nice role he here. Did. I thought Walter Koenig did a great job and the irony of ironies, he wasn't even in the space seat episode. Right. <laughs> right. Which is funny. And uh, the, here comes the Holmes connection again. Nicholas Meyer said Holmes, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle made mistakes with the Holmes mythology. All the time, so he said, eh, whatever. <laughs> I love, I love uh, Chekhov in this movie. I think, <laughs> Me too. I think he's great. I, I like seeing him with an expanded role, too. I do, too. Yeah. Uh, as I said, Paul Winfield is Terrell. He's he's great. He's always great. Uh, uh, the uh, the guys and girl, well, the guys around Con are uh, Chip and Dale dancers. Uh, might be <laughs> why they that. look like a, uh, a dance troupe. <laughs> Look like a biker gang uh, getting ready to go. So interesting. Go dance. Uh, Judson Scott plays Joaquin, his first hand, uh, his right hand man. I thought he was really good. Yeah, he was. Uh, and he's a great foil for Khan. He's calling him on his crap mm-hmm. throughout, and and he's right. Exactly. <laughs> he's right again. A great character flaw, but again, the mirror. Kirk listens to the people around him. Khan doesn't. Right. So. Uh, let's see. Also, uh, before we get into the other ones, uh, Kirstie Alley makes her big screen debut here as Savick. I love her. I love her too. I love her. I love her in this. Uh, the script says she's a uh, Romulan Vulcan mm-hmm. um, 
uh, mixture and you see that she shows emotion. I think she's really great. And we see a lot of this story through her eyes. She's like the kid who, who we're seeing yeah. this through. Uh, I've always loved Kirstie. Yeah, she has really good screen presence here. Like really good. I really enjoy her in this. B.B. Besh is Carol Marcus is really good. Mm-hmm. Meyer said he wanted someone who you could you could think that Kirk would you know, fall for her. And also that she's a really thoughtful, smart, intelligent one. That definitely comes through. She left us, uh, she she died several years ago, but I was struck watching this, how pretty she, yeah. she was. She and Merritt Buttrick also left us about, he left, he, he died around 89 or 90, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, he, it, it's amazing. He looks like he could be their son. I know. He really does. Uh, if you like Star Trek and like Star Trek trivia, in the very first, uh, well, second pilot episode, but the first to feature Kirk and this iteration of Star Trek, uh, where no man has gone before, Kirk makes reference to a little blonde lab technician that he almost married. Hmm. Some viewers think it might be Carol Marcus. Yeah. What do you think, Faith? Uh, I think it might be. <laughs> we'll leave it up to the viewers. Uh, they're great. Let's get to the other two. We got uh, DeForest Kelly as Dr. McCoy. Man! He is so good in this. One of my favorite scenes in this movie is the scene where he calls Jim on his crap when he tells him to get his command back yes. before he becomes a part of his collection. That whole exchange is so McCoy and Kirk and so D. Kelly and William Shatner. I love D. Kelly. What did you think about his performance in this movie? Oh, he's amazing. He's he's always amazing. It It's hard not to love him. I feel like he's always very true to who he is and very grounded and He's the reason Star Trek is so grounded, I think. I He's the humanist he aspect of, of Star Trek and the passion, yes. you know, the, the human passion, as we've talked about with the trio of logic, logic and reason, mm-hmm. you know, and passion, you know, and Kirk being a mixture of Spock and yep. McCoy. You can tell how important that relationship is. And you can tell how important the, the, the three of them are together. I also love the scene, too, with McCoy when he learns about the Genesis device. And what a great device, Genesis rebirth you know which is what this movie is about yeah but when mccoy learns about the genesis and he goes uh you know uh, the bible says it took six days now we can do it for you in six minutes and you get a kirk uh you get a mccoy spock argument Mm -hmm. it's classic trek it's classic it's classic drama classic trek d kelly is amazing and uh has uh some wonder he's funny He's probably my favorite. He's oh, he's like, my favorite. He's my favorite. It's it's hard though to be like you know yeah. to pick, but I really think he is. My he's he's funny as hell. He I is. mean, and uh, uh, and real and grounded, mm-hmm. and 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 you love McCoy. He love d- he feels so real. He feels like that's how he is in his everyday life. Yeah, it really you know? really does. He loved Star Trek. He loved being in Star Trek. He really did. He loved it. I feel like I can tell. That he yeah. There was a guy who was pretty fed up with Star Trek. It's also in this movie at the time and came to love it again. He, uh, Leonard Nimoy, signed on to this because he wanted Spock to die. <laughs> well, he didn't He didn't want to kill Spock, but Harv Bennett said, what if we killed Spock? And he said, no, I'm listening. I'll, so he came to do the movie because Spock died. He wanted to end so it. something really funny, though, happened. He had a great time making this. And... <laughs> told them like can we leave something in there to where i can maybe come back that's so funny i and thank god i know thank god I know. uh spock uh the creative spoiler spock dies in this and what what an ending to this oh my god what an ending i can't tell you how many times i've seen this movie i've seen it uh, too many times to count and you tear up every time <laughs> i know every time and i know it's coming and they do this one this this script Setups and payoffs. I know. Setups and payoffs. 
aren't you dead is a line right at the beginning. You think he's, you know, he dies in the simulator. And there was a thing going around at the time. People had heard that Spock was going to die. And Nicholas Meyer said, okay, well, let's subvert expectations here. So he quote unquote kills him at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Aren't you dead? There it is. There's a laugh. He's not going to die. Oh, he dies. Mm-hmm. He dies at the end. And I love how it goes back to the Kobayashi Maru. I never took the Kobayashi Maru test. What do you think of my solution? Self-sacrifice. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, absolutely beautiful. The way it's handled in the engine room with the glass and Spock being half human, half Vulcan, never being able to really, you know, touch people, mm-hmm. you know, in that figurative sense. And now Jim can't even touch it. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a little, I know, me too. a little emotional <laughs> thing about in that. And last 15, 20 minutes of this movie, I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm an absolute wreck. I know. Uh, I start crying uh, when they when they have their goodbye and the eulogy and Kirk and his son coming together, you mm-hmm. know, is a beautiful moment. And uh, to Nicholas Myers, great credit. I've said that a few times. Um, the movie is bookended with A Tale of Two Cities. As he said, one of the few pieces of literature that people know the opening line and the last line. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then boom, it's a far better resting place I go to. And it's beautiful. This is one of the absolute most beautiful movies ever made. It really is. I don't care if you're not a Star Trek fan. Everyone needs to see this movie. It says it all. It It, it really really, does. It really says it all. It really does. One final piece of the puzzle I'd like to talk about before we take a break. Mm -hmm. The score by James Horner. This is is amazing. What do you think of the score? What do you think I think of the score? I think you love the score. Why do you love the score so much? <laughs> it's just, it ties in so well with the mo- with the movie. It, you have your beautiful moments, because you obviously have some beautiful moments in the movie, but then you just have, you know, every single aspect of this movie, I feel like the music is just right there with it, and it just amps it up so much You more. know what I like about it? Yeah. I like that it sounds naval. Yeah. Yeah, da, da, true. Da, da, da. like and you listen. It sounds like ships, big mm-hmm. ships sailing. You know, yeah. Uh, and all I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer her by. John Macefield, uh, Kirk quotes that in the show and in Star Trek Five, but uh, very appropriate. You know, right. big ships. It sounds like tall ships. It does sailing appropriate for this film. Mm-hmm. I think he nailed it. The action cues are great too. Exactly. In this yeah. and uh, the heartfelt stuff is is really well done. You know what I like to uh, no score during their goodbye, no score mm-hmm. during their uh, during the eulogy. The the score lets the film breathe. It lets it take a minute and yep. and have its emotional moment. I think modern movies could take a big lesson exactly. from this film. I agree. I agree. It's a pretty simple plot too. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple plot. Kirk Khan wants to kill Kirk. That's it. <laughs> That's, That's it. pretty much it. Everything else is gravy. Know. You know, on it. It's it's really a wonderful movie. I seriously, if you've not seen this film, please watch it. And and if it's been a while, watch it again because it's and so go into it. it with with try to have fresh eyes with it mm-hmm. because it, it's so rewarding. I'm gonna say this: the Blu-ray high def transfer of this is absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. It uh, I watched this uh, streamed it on Amazon Prime and it looked I did too. crisp. I, I was thinking that it. The colors, the look of it was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, gorgeous. Yeah. Top to bottom, this is great. Uh, ILM, George Lucas's people, did the effects. The effects are wonderful. Mm -hmm. They even reused some effects from the motion picture to save some money. This movie was made for like uh, 
eleven million dollars. So I think. not a hundred and zero or forty five. <laughs> yeah, not forty five. Forty five. And and made it didn't make as much, but it was more profitable because it was made uh, cheaper and mm-hmm. more efficiently. And and I think it it really shows. I think it, so too. It, seriously, this is uh, there is a reason this film is consistently voted the best Star Trek film. Oh yeah. And one of the top science fiction films of all time mm-hmm. has everything to do with the writing and uh, everything, uh, the direction and Shatner and the whole cast. But Shatner and Monobon really, really, really do do carry this thing. Yeah. And, and it's it's sci fi. There's so much heart in this movie. There's just so much to take away from the movie. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And, and it gets better every time you watch it. It does. I've turned people on to this movie. Here. I don't like Star Trek. Just, just watch this. <laughs> and they love it. And yeah. it ended up kind of starting a trilogy uh, with two, three, and four become a little trilogy among the original crew movies. So really, really, really great stuff. I know. So we have a tall order ahead of us because when we get back from our break, we uh, we're gonna maybe talk about some of our favorite things from this movie. There's a <laughs> oh my goodness, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> oh, I it's, know, it's an absolute lot. But uh, we're gonna take a very short break. This is a news break. We have a special editorial coming up from our buddy Scott Rice. And uh, you're going you're to want to be sure to stick around for that. Yes, definitely. So, all right. Well, I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we will see you on the other side. Rise, host of Trekkies! Zoom, zoom! That's Trekkies with a Z! Join me for a look back at City on the Edge of Forever, starring William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, the Forest Kelly, and special guest star John Collins. Va-va-voom, va-va-voom! Zoom, zoom, airing exclusively on WKNF Cozy Corner Public Radio. This song is beautiful. Lutes. Well, we are indeed graced tonight with greatness, some would say, yeah. here in the studio. We have some. with us Scott Rice. He is, of course, the host of Trekkies. That's Trekkies with a Z. That airs here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. Wait, it's not called Trekkies Pew Pew. No, no, it's it's not Trekkies Pew Pew. Just mm. Trekkies with a Z. He's also <laughs> uh, the host of uh, Laser Beams. That's Laser Beams it, with a Z. Is that Pew Pew? It might be. I don't know. We'll have to ask him. Uh, he brings you all the high scores from Laser Tag here in uh, Cozy Corner. He also has a show called Bags and Boards, both does with a Z. Have a pew pew in it as well. No comic books, comic books, Faith. But but he does like his he Z's. He says 
pew pew a lot though. So. so here he is. How he's sitting down. Scott Rice is. Uh, he was nice enough to join. Scott is uh, Star Trek fan number one, uh, self-professed <laughs> Star Trek fan number one. Now we have not done this on the news here. We've never had an editorial. So right. uh, Scott heard we were doing Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, and he wanted to come in and uh, give us his opinions on this. And we welcome that here on the show. Yes, we welcome that. Uh, because we we like to hear people's opinions, especially something as good as Star Trek too. So exactly. Scott, uh, he is set up. He has the headphones on. He's oh, look at that face. He's giving us a thumbs up. <laughs> All right, Scott Rice, we're going to turn it over to you. We would like for you to tell us why Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan is the greatest of the Star Trek films. It's yours, my friend. Thank you very much. Is I, Scott Rice, host of Trekkies, Laser Beams, Pew Pew, and Bags and Boards. Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan is indeed one of the great Star Trek films. It does indeed possess many of the elements that make Star Trek great, but I do not believe that it is the absolute greatest Star Trek ever made. That honor is reserved for 1987's Star Trek The Next Generation. No, 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 mm -mm. no, 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 not at all. Sorry. Star Trek The Next Generation is by far superior to Star Trek The Original Series. No, no, mm -mm. I'm sorry, I gotta, gotta stop you right there. I thought you people liked opinions. Captain Jean-Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart, is indeed the greatest captain in Star Trek, and dare I say it, Starfleet history. No. no not even close. Dan, what's, no. what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Star Trek The Next Generation broke new ground and its four movies are vastly superior to anything that the original series crew put out. No, 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 no. sorry, sorry. <sighs> fake news, Faith. Yeah. Fake, this is, this is fake news. I'm sorry, Scott, we, we're going to have to let you go. I wish someone would be me to a universe with intelligence. Jean-Luc forever. Kirk never. No, no, no. no. Mm -mm. Bye, buddy. Go back, go back to the laser tag arena. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're sorry about that. We should vet this. This is why we don't do editorials. We, right? we, we should vet this before. <laughs> All oh, right. Well, we are going to take a very short break, but hey, stay tuned. Here is your Minute of Culture. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we'll see you on the other side.
Hey guys, this is Bobby, you know, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. What the hell is wrong with that Scott Rice guy? I swear to God, Captain Picard? Hey buddy, you can kiss my... Welcome back to the Late Night Fright, right here on WKMF Cozy Corner Public Radio. I am Dan. And I am Faith. It's nice to know that even in the 23rd century, Amazing Grace will still be played. Yes. Beautiful. Absolutely. Beautiful, isn't it? So beautiful. Beautiful arrangement, too, by it's James Horner. It's hard not to start tearing up if you listen to it. It really is. James Horner, uh, he's, he was one of the great film composers of all time. He, he left us a few years ago. That was a sad day. That was a big loss. And he did the music for Titanic. That, uh, you know, he's known for a lot of things, but mm-hmm. Titanic, that's up there. That's up there in the film scores. Oh, yeah. So, well, uh, things got a little heated here, but I think it's, I think it's calmed down, calmed down a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what that was. I don't uh, want to know what it was, Faith. I don't want to know either. what it was. I don't know what the Scott Rice, Bobby D'Amato beef is about. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it, but yeah, guys, just, just increase the piece. 2020 is almost over. We're, we're, we're almost in the clear. All right, we're going to finish up our discussion on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, a.k.a. how James T. Kirk got his groove back, a.k.a. the greatest movie ever made. All right, uh, favorite moments. It's it's hard can to... Can I say all of them? You can say all of them. <laughs> I mean... We were, we were talking in, in, in one of the breaks. It, this is a very hard movie to quantify you know, is. with words. Uh, it's, it's something that really needs to be experienced, but yes. uh, I... I don't want this to be a cop out, and, and I say this sometimes being funny, but really the whole thing I know. is is wonderfully done. That was one of my like mental notes watching this. It is solid start to finish. I feel it, like there is no, no wasted. Yeah. The pacing is perfect. Yeah, Every, I mean, there's no wasted space. I feel like everybody in it is is necessary, even if they don't have a big role. You just Everything start to finish is solid. There's there there's no fat on this. No. It's, it's lean and it, and it, it goes just... and it and it gets in and gets out, yeah. and and it doesn't feel like a two hour movie either because that know. is what blew me away. I I looked at I was I was watching it and just out of curiosity I was like how far into this am I? I did that too. And I was like, an hour in and I went I just too. started this. I know, but yeah. you don't feel like oh my gosh I still have so much more to go. Yeah. You know, it's going slow, like not at all. And it's a movie, as I said, I've seen this so many times. It's it's never a chore to watch it. it, it it's a rewarding experience of a movie. I will say uh, what I really liked this go around, I really enjoyed the tension that is set up in the uh, in the scenes, the spaceship scenes. Mm-hmm. I think I are really too. well done. I think so, too. Yeah, I think that, like we said earlier, having them not even in the same space, same room. Yeah. Is just so well done. How much tension there is between the two of them, and I don't know that that was on purpose. I, I think it was something they realized later. They went, "Wait, they're not even." And at that point, the it, ship, it worked the ship though for sailed. me. I mean, yeah, the the metaphors work. All, all the metaphors work mm-hmm. here. The allegory works. It, it's 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 a beautiful film. It's, it's a really beautiful, very film. beautiful. And as I said, I do want to reiterate uh, with some really horrific overtones mm-hmm. to it too. I know, you know. Some some yeah. awful stuff happens in this movie, and some awful stuff happens off screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, there you go. What did? Uh, let me ask one one final question about it, uh, especially in relation to, to Jim Kirk. What did you think about the revelation? Now we've seen this movie obviously a few times. Uh, what do you 
the thing about the revelation, though, that he has a son. It, it still kind of hits you in a way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because he had this son all throughout in the original series, mm-hmm. you know, that he stayed away from mm-hmm. because out of respect right. for the mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I that I, moment, it, it really it really kind of when you think about it, it goes, you go, wow, that this is a this is a hurt guy, mm-hmm. you know, but the moment when the son comes in and and accepts him, you know, all, all it, the great stories are about the father and the son mm-hmm. reconciling. And this is. One of the it's that's a beautiful moment. It's one of my I favorites, know. you know, and it's so simply done. Saying, but it always hits you. It's like wow, <laughs> yeah, it's so well done. And and the the uh, the symbolism of him breaking the glasses that he that he has mm-hmm. his own glasses they they crack and you know mm-hmm. kind of seen with new eyes in a way. Exactly. It's, it's it's great. It's 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 really well done. And uh, Meyer would come back to direct Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which is another wonderful... I, th- I think all the, all the original Star Trek films are great. Mm-hmm. And uh, The Undiscovered Country was actually one of the original working titles for this. Hmm. So... Cool. He finally got to use it. <laughs> well, that's cool. So, so there you go. This is A+. Plus. This is four stars all the way. Oh, absolutely. Four stars all the way. Uh, and as I said, it would lead into kind of a trilogy with uh, Search for Spock and The Voyage Home and mm-hmm. all, all these... Uh, Star Trek is something if you're not into I, I want to highly encourage you to get into it because it's it's worth this this original series is worth your time. The next generation is wonderful and I'm going to I'm going to concede to Scott Rice that there are some absolutely beautifully done episodes of the next generation and I like the movies too. But it's, it's just it, not it's not the original, the original series and everybody has their trek. I'm not begrudging anyone right. their track except for scott it, rice right. but don't come and torpedo star trek 2 it's on, just the, the original series just just the people the people just it makes it what it yeah. is and it just it feels good to watch it, it's it's one of my go-to like happy shows if yeah I, totally it really is it makes you just feel totally. we've said it before so in the show there's something really wonderful about putting on some coffee and sitting down and and watching star trek you I know am. and and being able to give 45 minutes to an hour to sit there and watch Star yeah. Trek. And uh, uh, again, then the films are wonderful too. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful time capsule and, it, and it's still good. Mm-hmm. It really 50, is. 50 some odd years at the time of this recording after. Yeah. So highest recommendation for sure. Uh, one, one more question. Uh, this is sci-fi fantasy villain month. Uh, we've got the Kurgan down. Mm-hmm. Now we've got Khan. Who, who's more vile? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. I would say vile is definitely the Kurgan. Kurgan. I don't think of Khan as vile. I think of him as uh, he's definitely evil. Yeah, he's definitely evil, but he's Vengeful. not. Yeah, he's not <laughs> vile. He's not somebody that I would want to know. But he's at least someone who you might be able to reason with. Right. When he's not seeing red. Right. Like he is in this movie. Exactly. You know, uh, there is a a courtesy. Do you think he has redeeming qualities too? Con? Mm-hmm. I feel like we always ask that. About I, I think and... I think he does. Uh, yeah, he has he has a wonderful intellect, mm-hmm. obviously. So yeah. that's a, that's cool. I, I do think he has redeeming qualities. I think like Jim, he's broken, and mm-hmm. uh, if he could see past that, mm-hmm. you know, I think he could. I I could be wrong. I think he could be a wonderful man. Now he was bred for this, as mm-hmm. as we talked about in Space Seed. So maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's incapable of it, but right. I'd like to think everybody is. I would say he's he has many more redeeming qualities in the Kirkin. I think so. 
Yeah, I, th- I think he's seeing through a lot of hurt and pain and anger, and maybe yeah. that just, yeah, you know, it, yeah, he can get over it. Maybe, but boy, he's fun to watch. Isn't it? Oh, he's so much fun to watch. <laughs> he's fun to watch. So with that, we like to give you the movie, the next movie up, uh, so you can do your homework, as we call it. But it's not homework. Homework is is not fun. Nobody wants to do homework. This is fun. This is fun. Sci-fi fantasy villain month it's a continues. Big movie. We have big movie. One of the great villains. Go ahead and time, tell him. I think. Tell uh, him. I think the AFI had him at number two. Tell if him. I'm not mistaken. You ready? Are you ready? <laughs> yes. You want me to do it? Do it. We're going to be doing the Empire Strikes Back <laughs> on the show. Empire Strikes Back, a lot like oh, Star Trek Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, often voted one of the great sequels, uh, one of the great films ever made, and a lot mm-hmm. of people think might be better than the original. Uh, we might get into that. I, I don't think it is. I think it's. I think each movie is its own thing it's old, yeah. in that in that trilogy, and you don't get Empire without the original film. But uh, this is this is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Oh, yes. I'm going to assume most of you out there have seen this movie, but uh, if you you know refresh yourself <laughs> on it before uh, before coming into this, uh, this is pretty exciting. I mean, we're going to talk about Darth Vader, one of the great <laughs> one of the great villains. I know of all time. I know. And I think we can. We're going to go ahead and announce it here because I think we we decided this right earlier. <laughs> uh, so go ahead and watch Empire Strikes Back, and then get ready for two in two weeks. We're going to be doing the Terminator. Yeah, go ahead from nineteen eighty four. Watch it with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So that's been on my list for a long time. Well, we're knocking it off the list. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. So uh, there you go. You get two weeks. Uh, we're going to be doing the Empire Strikes Back, followed by the Terminator. I think those are really good solid quality really good picks, picks and movies like wrath of khan that have some real horrific elements mm-hmm. and i want to encourage everyone out there if you're watching empire watch it as a horror film because i think it really works as a horror film. i was just thinking that in my head I, we watch it go in as a horror film and try to point out those and notice things. notice in this movie all of the teeth imagery there's a lot of teeth uh not not like in our mouth but like uh the doors have jagged all the jagged edges Notice that in the movie, a lot of them in there. It's it's kind of disconcerting and uh, adds to the bad vibes. This movie is full of bad vibes, <laughs> <know>. literally and <laughs> figuratively. So we're going to get into that. And then Terminator, of course, the great James Cameron. I uh, oh, yeah. uh, can't wait to talk about that either. <laughs> it's going to be fun. And uh, we're going to go ahead and announce now December is coming up, if you can believe that. But thank God, because that I means we're, we're that one step closer to getting out of 2020. And uh, we're uh, December is going to be dedicated to two of the great horror stars of all time and two with Star Wars uh, mm-hmm. connections. Yep. We are going to be talking about the films of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee here on the show. Uh, we're not sure which ones yet, but we're go- we'll let you we'll know, obviously. Uh, but definitely uh, some solo adventures and then together might, might do half might do like a yeah. Cushing and Lee and then do two two together mm-hmm. they were in quite a few so yeah uh, I think gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun good month yeah it's gonna be a real good month so we're gonna end uh 2020 on a good note on a good note yeah good note so there you go <laughs> Star Trek 2 high recommendation watch the Empire Strikes Back watch the Terminator I'm glad we got that, <laughs> that figured out <laughs> and we'll let you know what's <laughs> what's coming up <laughs> Uh, down the line. Faith, do you have anything uh, you'd like to add about Star Trek? Uh, anything coming up or just anything in general? You know, about Star Trek in, in general, you, you said earlier, if you're not a Star Trek person, watch it. And it's true. If you're not into sci-fi, there's so much more to Star Trek than just science it, fiction. Yeah. There really is. And you're missing out if you haven't seen the original series, at least. 
Right. You know. Right. I, I can I completely agree. And I, I don't have the book with me, but I do know that John Stanley uh, gave Star Trek to four stars in his creature features that's, and that's, said it and basically said that's a lot more like it. Yeah. So yeah, can't, go, can't yeah. go wrong with the great John Stanley. <laughs> Not so at all. Uh, I would like to echo what was said at the beginning of the show. We hope wherever you are, you are happy, you are healthy, you are safe, and that you're sane, be you uh, a visitor from the final frontier or one of the carbon-based life forms here on Earth. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your continued support. We, we love all of you out there, and we hope that you're safe. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can at late night fright podcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at Late Night Fright Podcast, and Faith is also on the gram at... I'm a normal alien. And I want to go ahead and say this. We may be starting a Parlor account soon. Parlor is all the rage now, taking over for Twitter, and read some good things about it, so we might have a Parlor account. We'll keep you, keep you posted on all that. We want to kind of start connecting a little more with people out there. So there you go. Anything else, Faith? No, but I have no idea what parlor is. Well, you're going to find out <laughs> soon enough. You're going to find out soon enough. Feels like it's that time, doesn't it? It does. Let's see if we still have the magic touch on three. Let's snap the fingers. One, two, three. All right. It is that time. It is time for us to kick this thing into warp speed and yes. fly off into the final frontier. <laughs> Been a good show, though. Yes. Thank you again for joining us. And as I said, uh, you know, be safe. We're almost out of 2020. Let's hope 2021 is a lot better and not cursed. There you go. I, I have, have a good feeling. I do too. <laughs> Empire is up next, followed by the Terminator, and then we got Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. So, Faith, take us home. May your coffin be cozy and your sarcophagus warm. May the light of the moon keep you safe from harm. Be you vampire, spook, specter, or beast. Always remember, keep, keep your, your monster, monster on, on a leash. leash. See you next time. is your dad, Larry Pico de Gallo's Saturday night. I'm playing the late night piano lounge set. You want the chimichangas? Hell yeah, I want the chimichangas. You want sour cream? Do I look like a man who would pass up sour cream? No. Damn right. I'd also like a cerveza, por favor. Coming up. Thank you, darling. Listen, son, I need a couple of favors. First off, I left my December 1983 Playboy Entertainment for Men magazine, the one with Joan Collins wearing that red dress. That's sitting right there on the coffee table. If you could pick that up and put that back in the box I keep in the closet behind my sport coat that I don't wear anymore, 
If you could put that up before your mother comes home, I certainly would appreciate that. Also, I need you to twist one off for your old man because I'm going to want to want to trip the lot fantastic when I come in because they got a Battle of the Network Stars Marathon coming on and it's the one where Linda Carter swims and I want to see Wonder Woman all wet and if you could do that for me I'd appreciate and also right there in the little bowl where I keep my keys I got a five spot if you could go down to the convenience store and pick up daddy a pack of cigs I'd be appreciative and uh Tell you what, son, I might even bring you a chimichanga with sour cream. It's your dad, Larry, Pico de Gallos, Saturday night. Love you, son. Are you a content creator, sales professional, or small business owner? Do you need professional-looking videos for your social media? Check out revmedia.group. At Rev Media, we take raw footage you film on your phone, webcam, or mobile device and turn it into professional, branded content. Rev Media offers editing, graphics, commercially licensed music, and more. And with Rev Media, you can even upload your footage right from your phone or mobile device. With 24 hour turnaround time, you'll be posting professional looking video content faster than ever. Rev Media, you film it, we edit. Visit revmedia.group to find out more. That's R E V M E D I A dot group. Rev Media. <laughs>